live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. It is the Friday edition of the program. Friday shows always a little bit different than the rest of the, sh- rest of the shows in the week. Matter of fact, a week or so ago, my program director comes up and he says, I really like your Friday shows, which is, of course, I don't know what it says about the rest of the shows, but it's, it's, it's better than saying, boy, those Friday shows are really awful. So, I mean, I'll, I take it as a compliment, and I think it was meant that way. We, we're going to do some serious stuff, but also we lighten it up as well, and I, I do a couple topics. Sometimes we'll discuss topics that maybe I wouldn't discuss in the course of the regular week. We've got one of those coming up in the one o'clock hour. I think it's going to be interesting. As I mentioned when Steve Scafidi and I were just talking, the Kentucky Derby is tomorrow and the Kentucky Derby is the Super Bowl of horse racing. It's one of those it's one of those days when Maybe you don't, you wouldn't think of betting on a horse race any other day of the year, but just like for people who don't watch football and stuff, you watch the Super Bowl. Well, you know, everybody becomes a horse racing fan on Kentucky Derby Day, and we're going to be joined at 208 by my friend Pickham Paul, who's the off-track betting manager at Potawatomi. We're going to talk about what they're, we've got, what they've got going on around here tomorrow, but all, and today, actually, because I was down there this morning. It's already packed. Um, but also, we are going to share our picks for the Kentucky Derby, and um, I'll I'll put them up on Twitter afterwards. So if you follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty, I'll put them up again. My advice is see where I'm going on the Derby, and then kind of go the other way. But I, if I can help you eliminate horses, that will be fine. Good news to start the Friday show, and I mean good economic news. The stock market up big. The Dow Jones right now up about 190 points. Um, Even more significantly, the NASDAQ is up 103. That's a 1.3% increase. So things are going well. Why is the stock market up? Because there was an outstanding, outstanding jobs report. The economy added 263,000 jobs in April. That's very, very strong hiring, which means, again, it's, it's a symbol that businesses feel good about themselves because hiring and job creation is always what you call a lagging indicator. Um, you know, businesses, what they want to do is they want to make sure that they feel like they're going to be successful moving forward so that they wait till they've sold off inventory. Um, but once they feel like they're going to be successful moving forward, they go out and they hire people and 263,000 jobs added in April. Here's the other significant number. And look, I, I don't care what your politics are. I don't care whether you're conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat or independent. It doesn't matter to me what we all want to see this country do well, right? We all want to see people be employed. We all want to see people improve their standard of living. And here's the interesting thing. The unemployment rate has fallen to 3.6%. 3.6%. Let me put this in perspective. This is the lowest unemployment rate for the last 50 years. Now, unemployment rates are always a little bit misleading 
because if you're out of the workforce and you're not looking for a job, you, you don't get included in that. This is only people who are looking for jobs, but it's down to like 3.6%. That is a 50-year low, and it's pretty close to what we call structural unemployment. But by that, I mean there's always going to be some people who are out of work. You're between jobs. You know, you've, you've quit one job, and then you're, uh, you've got another one, but you don't start for two months. I mean, that's, that's that structural unemployment. There's always going to be some percentage of people who are out of work, between jobs, whatever. 3.6% is getting very close to that, and we're now at a point where I think – you know, pretty much anybody who wants to find a job is going to be able to find a job. Now, it might not be a job in their field. Maybe they have to relocate to find that particular job. It might not be the most desirable job in accordance with what their education is. But, you know, we're at a point where we're very, very close to full employment. And no matter how you cut it, whoever you want to give credit or not give credit for, that is a very, very good thing for the country and for the state, unemployment, um, 3.6% nationwide, that is an all-time low. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not think this has this policy has been the disaster that some alderman would have you believe it. For years and years and years, Milwaukee City employees were required as a condition of their employment, to live within the boundaries of the city. It was the city's way of holding people hostage. You want to work for the city of Milwaukee, you cannot live elsewhere. It was a policy that not too many other cities in the state had. Six years ago, state Supreme Court Um, Six years ago, state law invalidated the residency requirement. It was a state law that was passed by the legislature. So now municipalities can no longer require people to live in the city. The estimates are that, well, if you believe these numbers, about 40 percent, about four out of ten of Milwaukee police officers and firefighters have exercised the option and they have now moved out of the city. The city is upset about this, and a number of aldermen are saying, well, we have to do more. We think it's terrible that these people are leaving the city. We have to do more to effectively entice people to live here. So what they're talking about doing is increasing the pay rate. Let's give people more money. Let's set up a two-tier system where we pay people more if they're willing to stay in the city. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it a problem that public employees in the city of Milwaukee are apparently, for whatever reason, choosing to live elsewhere? Has this caused huge issues in the city? Do you need to spend a bunch of money to try to essentially bribe public employees to stay? Or... Is this just selection? Is this just the decision that the employees make? 414-799-1620. Do we need to give incentives to people to stay in the city? I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620 is the number. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, it's been six years since the state legislature passed a law that said that cities can't hold their public employees hostage. 
um, the city of Milwaukee was one of only a handful of cities in the state that did that. They said, if you want to work for the city, you have to stay here. Now they estimate that about four out of every ten firefighters and uh, police officers have exercised their options. They've moved outside the city, and some people are describing this as a crisis. The Common Council President, Ashanti Hamilton, says this is a major concern, and it is the responsibility of the city to try to do something to curb employees moving elsewhere. All right, I have a I have a suggestion. If you're worried about that, why don't you figure out what it is that is causing the employees to move out of the city and try to deal with that instead of trying to say, okay, we need to get rid of this law or we need to bribe people to stay. I mean, other cities don't have to bribe public employees to live there. Maybe you got to figure out the underlying reason why firefighters and police officers and to a lesser extent other city employees are trying to get out and then deal with that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Brian in Pewaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Brian. Um, you know, years ago, I owned a home in Milwaukee, and one of the selling points was, hey, there's a lot of city employees that live in this neighborhood, and it does prop up the neighborhood because you've got a, I, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, a, a higher caliber of residents living amongst you. Um, one idea I like is, you know, maybe not paying them extra, but enticing people to stay by giving them a, a break or a, a completely getting rid of their property taxes. Mm-hmm. as an incentive to stay. Why Why would you just do that with public employees? I mean, I guess, I guess if the idea is we want... We want, uh, I don't, I don't know, we want a certain type of person to, to be a homeowner and live there. Why, why single out public employees for that? I guess part of the reason is because they draw their salary from the, ta- uh, the taxpayers. And, right. you know, I mean, we do that with certain uh, government employees, especially military in, in certain areas. Right. Um, so it, it's not a far-fetched idea, uh, and I agree with you. We got to do more to make the city more attractive for everybody. But right. I, I guess because city employees, you know, you've got some um, way of handling that situation because of how they're paid. Uh, that's one mm-hmm. enticement you can make. Um, but you know, look at how we've made uh, downtown so much uh, more attractive. We've mm-hmm. got to make the neighborhoods that much more attractive too. Well, that, no, thanks. Because see, that's the interesting thing. Because I mean, th- this is the this is the fundamental issue to me, at least. It's like, all right, why? If you're concerned that people are leaving, why is it that the public employees are in fact leaving now? I'm not convinced, in all honesty, that they leave as much of a void because I always made this point. If you own a house, for example, and you live on the northwest side of Milwaukee, you're you're not just in most cases. Now, I understand maybe you say, okay, we're going to rent and we're going to move to Wauwatosa, we're going to move to Franklin or, or whatever. Maybe you'll decide to do that. But in most cases, if you're going to sell your house, you have to find somebody who's willing to buy it. And I don't think if you look at like housing vacancies and things like that, you're going to find that it's public employees who've done this. But again, to me, the fundamental question is, all right, if you've got a Milwaukee copper that wants to move out of the city, and apparently a lot of them are, why is that? And rather than worrying about, gee, is should we give them a $2,000 bump in, in their pay, which frankly probably isn't going to make any difference anyways, or maybe should we figure out why are you moving? What's the issue? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Menominee Falls. Hi, Tom. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. What do you um, think? 
son of a former city worker, I think one of the biggest issues that was always a concern were, were the schools. Mm-hmm. Where were your kids going to go to school? And now they're able to leave. I think that's probably the number one issue, why people are leaving Milwaukee, the workers. Um. Yes. Yeah. And so maybe... Maybe this is maybe this is kind of like the red flag that should be setting off the alarms. And instead of the Common Council saying, all right, how much money should we have to throw at public employees to get them not to move to Franklin or Oak Creek or whatever? Maybe it's like, okay, if it is, in fact, the schools and that and that's the issue, maybe it's like, boy, if our schools are so crummy that they're chasing out all these public employees, maybe we need to do something about it. Correct. Yeah. No, no, thanks. I mean, I guess that this is again, this it's to me, it's one of those things where is this is it a problem? I'm not convinced it's a problem. But to the extent that you view it as a problem, throwing a couple grand at this in the form of here, we'll set up the second wage system. So we'll give you a few extra dollars to live in the city. All that really seems to me is going to do. It's not going to inspire more people to live in the city. And it's also going to give them more incentive to leave their jobs and maybe try to find another job in the suburbs. Doug in McGuanago. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Um, it's, it's good afternoon. Hi, Doug. <laughs> um, I would say uh, one of the main reasons people move out of the city uh, is the school. I mean, if you are going to have kids, uh, mm-hmm. what, what would you rather have them go to school? Milwaukee Public Schools or somewhere in the suburbs? Uh, so, or South yeah. Milwaukee or Brookfield or Mequon or Glendale. Yeah, absolutely. Name it. Name it. And then, you know, look at the property taxes. You know, a rather modest house of Milwaukee is paying double the property taxes I'm paying out in McGuanago or the mm-hmm. town of Vernon. Right. So from, from that point of view, you're paying double the taxes. You're getting a lower quality, uh, you know, uh, schools for your kids. I mean, what was a couple thousand dollars? That's still not going to make up the difference in property taxes, and your kids are still going to be stuck in NPF. Right, so you agree with my basic theory that throwing money at this isn't going to get anywhere. I mean, it might... I guess maybe it might inspire a couple. If, if you've got some young single firefighter or police officer, maybe it might inspire them to stay for a little bit. But like you say, you know, once they get it, once they get married, once they have a family, then they're going to start looking for other these quality of life issues. And unless the city of Milwaukee addresses that, two grand or three grand or five grand in extra salary isn't going to change the dynamic at all. No, and I think you know most. I think when you look at downtown, it's a false because downtown is this different thing. I don't. I don't think families really live downtown. This is empty nesters, yeah, or or it's or it's young people, professionals, yeah, yeah, and you know. But out in the neighborhoods, there are a lot of issues in Milwaukee, and they're really not addressing them. I think the mayor wants to focus on downtown because mm-hmm. it's a shiny shiny objects, but the neighborhoods are really what make the city run. Well, exactly. No, thanks for the call. And, and if you, I mean, I guess to me, this is the, the one of the best indicators of a quality of life situation is that if 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 it is true that it's as much as 40%, which strikes me as high, but I mean, I'll take those numbers. If four out of every 10 firefighter and or police officers have now decided over the last six years that they don't want to live in the city, that to me should be a sign that there's fundamental underwriting problems. So I'm getting a number of texts. Um, they say, Jeff, they move because the taxes are too high in the city and the neighborhoods are safer in the suburbs and the schools are better in the suburbs. Here's another one. Taxes, schools, crime. Um, that's, that's it. 
I mean, you're hearing this over and over and over again. And look, I don't care if the city of Milwaukee taxpayers want to pay people a little bit more money to stay in the city. I don't have an issue with it, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work because the fundamental overriding problem is a quality of life one. And you don't solve that by building a streetcar that runs from the bus depot down to the lakefront. That does not solve the problem. What you have to do is you have to confront with the issues of crime, and you have to be willing to deal with the issue of taxes, and you have to be willing to deal with the issues of schools. And until you do that, you're going to continue to lose people to the suburbs. That's the reality. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, you knew this was coming. And, and see, and, and Tom Barrett, to his credit, made no secret of this. You know, he acknowledged before one rail was laid for Tom's trolley, he acknowledged that he wanted to expand this. He acknowledged that, hey, we're going to build this. But then there's not going to be that many people that are riding it because it doesn't go anywhere. So once we get it built, then we're going to expand it and we're going to expand it and expand it. So right now you have a 2.1 mile streetcar line that essentially runs from the bus depot up to the lower east side. It It's free. So we have no idea whether people would pay actually to ride it or not because the Potawatomi um, is are underwrite, underwriting the first year. It is my prediction that they will never, ever, ever charge for anybody to ride the trolley. I, I just, as a practical matter, it's very, very difficult to collect. Um, and, and many of the trolleys, it's kind of like the honor system. You know, here, if you want to give a dollar, give a dollar. I don't believe they will ever charge to ride the trolley. And if they did try, charge to ride the trolley, I think a lot of the ridership would just, it would just fall off the map. We don't know because they don't charge yet, and I don't think they're going to. On top of that, you have we're, we're unclear as to what ridership really is in November and December. They had in November. They had a big opening weekend and that kind of buttressed the numbers. Um, but if you include the opening weekend, all right, ridership exceeded expectations. All right. And that was kind of true through December. The first couple months of the new year, we don't know because somehow, mysteriously, the system for keeping track of ridership dropped in the in the months where you would expect that there would be limited ridership. So we don't know what the numbers are. My guess is that once the summer comes along, ridership will pick up. My guess is if we had accurate numbers, what you'd find is ridership dropped during the winter. That just makes sense. But right now, you've got a 2.1-mile trolley line that cost about 120 million to build. The mayor says, all right, now is the time to make the move. I want $160 million more. What I want to do, first of all, I want to take $28 million and I want to extend the streetcar line from uh, 0.4, four-tenths of a mile. I want to run it along Vell Phillips Avenue and 5th Street between West Wisconsin Avenue and St. Paul Avenue. I want to get this built by July of next year. So you can get from the bus depot essentially up to Wisconsin Avenue. He says, then 
I want to run it down to Walker's Point, and I want to run it north towards Bronzeville. This is going to cost about $160 million. I'm hoping that the feds give me a good chunk of this, but this is what we need to do. Now is the time to expand. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mayor says this is the moment. We've got to move. This is the opportunity. The streetcar, the trolley has been this huge success, and now we have to do this. Other people are clamoring for this. We need to have it. Right. Let me start off. First, I think the jury, and I've made this argument before, I think the jury is still out on the success of the trolley so far. I understand they had early good indications of ridership. I, I get it, but number one, it's free. And number two, there is a novelty factor. Some of the ridership was spiking because, hey, you know, let, let's go on a field trip. Uh, we're at the senior citizen place. Let's all drive down and we'll park and we'll ride the trolley just to see how this goes. Isn't that fun? It's free. It's not going to cost anybody. Number one, it's free. You don't have an accurate indication of the ridership. Number two. When you think of what this is going to cost, and now the mayor is talking about, uh, again, $160 million more for these modest extensions, think of what you could do with buses. You know, if you were going to forget $160 million, just take, take $10 million, take $15 million, and imagine what you could do with improving bus service in these areas. Heck, you could even make it free, and you'd be able to make it free for years and years without making this capital infrastructure investment. Now, some people say, no, 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 you can't do that. It's, it's got to be the, this new hip and trendy streetcar. Don't you understand? It's all back to the future. This is what we have to have. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett says, now's the time. Got to get this federal grant. Got to get federal money. Got to create more tax incremental financing districts. The key to growth and success in the city is, again, another 2.4 miles of trolley line. 414-799-1620. Is that the best use of money? even assuming you could somehow get it. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, I think the jury is still out, and this is one of the things that I predicted. As soon as the Democratic National Committee said, okay, we're going to bring the convention to Milwaukee, you knew that this was going to be the rush, the justification. Here, let's spend all sorts of money for this, because the truth of the matter is, you build the streetcar line, you invest $20, $30 million or whatever, the streetcar line is going to be gone, is going to be there long after that one week of the DNC is over. Do we want to make that capital investment? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Tony Zielinski, alderman and mayoral candidate. He says, look, here's the problem. Basic city services in our neighborhoods are being cut. I mean, we think about all the issues that the city of Milwaukee has. We touched on them in the first segment of the show. You've got, you know, you've got crime. You've got, you've, we didn't talk about, like, the, the lead pipes that all need to be replaced. You've got the failing school system. You've got all these other issues. And the mayor 
If he can get his hands on $160 million, he, he wants to use it to expand the streetcar line by 2.4 miles. You know, the first extension that they were going to try to do was to run it from the bus depot down to the lakefront, which to me makes absolutely no sense. I mean, I because I understand that during Summerfest and during the ethnic festivals, you might need that. To me, it would make more sense just to simply have a whole bunch of rubber-tired trolleys, you know, buses that could run back and forth during the time that people want to go down there. The argument was, well, no, 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 we're going to build the couture, you know, down at the lakefront, and that's going to be, you know, people are going to be living there. It's going to be this economic hub. Well, the problem is they don't know when the couture is actually going to um, be built. It's scheduled to open in 2020, um, but um, it's still not known when the tower is going to be built. So again, it's kind of like, well, we're going to build this monorail, 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 like the old Simpsons episode. Trust us. Trust us. Let's do this. There's going to be all this economic development. Well, all right, if you could get your hands on $150 million, is the trolley really the best way that you have of spending it? Um, Sashin in De Pere, you're on WTMJ. Oh, let me hit the button. You no, know, I, I understand your point. Um, you know about the the, mm-hmm. the expense, the money. But I just want to comment that somebody you know living outside of Milwaukee, for us, uh, Milwaukee, we're we're just fascinated by how the city has developed over the past decade. We mm-hmm. love to go there as a family. Uh, the Bucks and the Brewers doing mm-hmm. really well is, is part of that. And to me, just this this streetcar makes a lot of sense. We we enjoy riding it. And it's just kind of the, the attraction that the city is becoming. Uh, okay, let me just stop the you there. You're, you're, not, you're not suggesting that people will come from the pier to ride the streetcar, are you? You're saying if you're, if you're down here for the bucks or for something else that's going on, the streetcar is a nice supplement, right? Yeah, it's part of the whole package. You know, it's not the only. Yeah, we're yeah. Not <laughs> right. Because I, I was, I was going to. Because in all, in, yeah. in, with all due respect, I'm going to say, if you're going to drive from De Pere down to Milwaukee to ride the streetcar, my comment would be, you need, to, you need to live desperately. No, but no, no. I yeah. got it. Okay, it, it, it's a nice supplement, and I don't. I mean, thanks for calling. Look, and I, I understand it, it's it's a nice little amenity. I mean, and I'm not arguing that it's not a nice amenity for people who, who do it, especially around here. It's a novelty factor. I mean, again, you, you heard these stories, and they, a lot of them were anecdotal, but it was like, oh, they've got, uh, we're, we're looking for, we're at a senior citizen's home, and we're, we're looking for an activity. So let's take a bunch of people out there, and let's ride the trolley. It takes them back to maybe when they were young or something like that, and it's free. So, I mean, I, I understand that it's a nice little amenity, all right? But there's a lot of nice amenities that are out there that you just can't have because they're too expensive. And I guess this idea that this is critical to bringing young people into the city, well, okay, maybe we should be talking about like we did in the first half hour of the show. You know, why is it, if it's true, that 40% of Milwaukee police and firefighters are moving out of the city? I mean, they're not living downtown. You know, why aren't we concerned with the quality of life issues that affect them? The streetcar means nothing. One of the things that was so amazing to me about how they got enough aldermen to vote for the streetcar, because the truth of the matter is, I mean, if you're a downtown alderman, I guess maybe you can make an argument, well, this is a nice little thing. It's a bell and whistle that we can have people around here for. But one of the deals was, and this is where, I mean, they're kind of counting on it, two alder people who, you know, one in the Bronzeville area, one in the Walker's Point area, whose constituents get 
little to no benefit of it, but they were, I think, promised by Barrett, well, okay, you know, we understand that the first 2.1 miles, that's not going to help you, but, you know, we'll, we'll be coming to you later. So it's okay. Well, I'm going to get my piece of the pie next. Why? Why people, why the aldermen who are towards the western part of the city or in the northern part of the city, why they're signing up on this makes absolutely no sense at all. But beyond this, I just think it's premature to spend this money until you know for sure whether or not this thing is going to be a success or whether it's going to be a white elephant. Um, Let's see. Uh, here's Dave. Yes, the lead pipes in the city of Milwaukee would be a very getting the lead out of the uh, pipes in Milwaukee would be a nice expenditure of money. Um, let's see. Kyle says, well, I think Barrett is shopping for a legacy. Of course he is. This one way or the other is going to be the legacy of Tom Barrett. He wants to have the streetcar lines in. Here's another text. I would rather see $1,100 go to fixing potholes on several blocks of the street rather than one inch of the flop track. I mean, why, if we have a problem with transportation, you know, why are we investing in essentially 19th century technology? You know, if if there is an issue, hey, we want to get members of the Democratic National, who are attending the Democratic National Convention, we want to get them from the train depot, and we want to get them to their hotels, or we want to get them to the convention centers. For a fraction of what it would cost to extend a streetcar line, you could you could have as many rubber tire trolleys and buses. You could have open air trolleys, and you could have them shuttling back and forth. And you could say, okay, well, we know we've got a number of people that are coming in at six o'clock at night, so we're going to have a whole f- um, armada of these buses that are going to be there. But that's not what we want to do. We have to build this fixed rail, and we have to expand it and expand it and expand it. Well. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, just be careful what you wish for, because this is where the current leadership is trying to go. I understand it's going to be a bright, shiny whistle, but, you know, you're going to be paying for this for a long, long time. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. All right, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. We are about to go where angels fear to tread. Eric Bilstadt, before you leave, let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe aliens are among us? Among us or anywhere? Well, among us. I I, I don't think they're on the planet. However, the, the universe is way too big to think there isn't life somewhere. Okay. Do you think that there have been... You, you, we hear about all these sightings of UFOs. Do you think that there that there's always a, an explanation? Oh, it was a weather balloon, or the guy was drunk at two thirty in the morning and didn't see what he said. <laughs> or do you think that maybe there is something out there that's reaching out to us? I, I just don't think we're there yet. I don't think there's anything being. Nothing has been on the planet. Okay, so you're you're you fall into the, the three a.m. drunk or the yeah, weather balloon yeah. or something right. like that. All right, no, that's that that is fair. I I bring this up because the Washington Post revealed this week that the U.S. Navy 
now has formally developed a procedure to investigate and catalog reports of unidentified flying objects coming from its pilots. Because a lot of the reports of this have come from, like, Navy pilots, Air Force pilots who have been out there. And as you might be aware, the, the government um, had had a, a an organization, the Pentagon ran a secret USO operation that between... Um, like 2007 and 2012, spent $22 million over five years to collect and analyze what they call anomalous aerospace threats. All right. So, I mean, they, now they disbanded the office in 2012, but you might remember a couple of years ago when this revelation came out, you know, they released some footage and they've got some unexplained stuff that is out there. Well, what's interesting is the Navy has now developed for its pilots this formal process under which the pilots will report things that they have seen that they think are unexplained. The other thing that the Navy has done, though, is they say this is going to be treated as a military secret. It will not be available to the general public. It's strictly classified, um, so nobody's going to have access to this, which is, of course, feeding into all the X-Files, Art Bell folks who are saying, well, wait a second. You know, if, if they're going to be collecting this data and you're going to be assembling it, why why aren't you going to share it with the general public? All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is something that we do on Fridays on the Wagner Show. I, I, I want to ask you, essentially, I want to discuss the same thing I just discussed with Mr. Bilstadt, which is, all right, do you think that there are aliens among us? Do you believe that we are alone in the universe? Do you believe that some of these sightings, including a lot of the military sightings that have been had over the years of unexplained flying objects, you know, UFOs, do you think that this is, well, is it possible that this is somebody, something from somewhere else reaching out and the government doesn't want us to know? Or is this, oh, it's a weather balloon, it's an atmospheric freak are we alone? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as a corollary to that, you know, does it make you a little bit skeptical of the fact that the government now has this program, which is going to, you know, set forth the protocols and the way that the government pilots, the military pilots, chronicle and document the unexplained phenomena they see, but that's going to be classified and it's not going to be available to the general public. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are there aliens among us? We discuss in just a moment. And by the way, I know this is one of those things where it's a matter of belief. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, interesting piece in uh, Bloomberg News. It's called The Aliens Among Us. What they are finding is that military pilots over the last several years have reported an uptick 
in UFO sightings, unexplained. Now, they don't call them unexplained flying objects. They call them unexplained aerial phenomena. But it's really the the same thing. Um, And they're getting a number of these reports. The military now has started this program for categorizing these reports and cataloging them. However, they're going to be classified matters of national security, and they're not going to be available to the public, which is causing some people to say, all right, is this a cover-up? Are, are we living in the X-Files world? Are we, you know, living in the, the, the whole idea of the art bells of the world who see these things? Now, here, here is my take on this, and I, I don't mean to be unduly cynical about it. I, I do think it would be naive to believe that in the entire universe – that there's no other form of, of life that's out there. I mean, that it just, you know, that life had to be confined to the earth. I, I don't believe that. At the same time, I guess I remain skeptical when you have these different reports. And I, I mean, I believe that the vast majority of the time, if not all the time, when you have these people who report these various sightings, including reliable sources like military pilots who say they see things, I believe that at least in most, if not all of those cases, what it is is something that is explainable, whether it's a weather phenomena or whether it's something playing tricks on you or whether it's the weather balloon or, or whatever it might be. So I am not convinced at all that there's any sort of evidence that we have seen um, that we have seen any sort of alien outreach at this point in time. But at the same time, I do understand that there's a lot of people who claim to have had these various experiences and i think that the government should candidly be willing to confront these things directly and say all right look here here's this information we have this report somebody claims that they saw this thing that happened over the arizona desert or over the nevada desert and this is what it really was or if you have pilots that report this stuff, I don't see what the benefit is of not sharing the information, making it immediate public, and saying this is what it is to knock down these these theories that are out there. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking the sure. call. You know, I, I yes, I'm a believer of life outside this 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 our our solar system and such. Uh, among us, I don't know. That's a scary, interesting thought. But what's really over the last, the course of the last year or so is you've got a president, well, granted it's President Trump, but you had a president saying that they, he wants to have a space force. And is that coincidence given the policy of the Navy and the fact that none of the Democrats, the, either the, the, the crazy Democrats or even the, the, the base Democrats are calling them nuts for it, for saying space force. So you got to you got to ask the question what do they know what does our government know what does our secret levels of government know that we don't ah, so you think you think there might be some like conspiracy that's out there huh not a conspiracy but you know well conspiracy to keep the information from the US from the from the citizens huh well yeah and you know you've seen enough crazy alien movies and enough <laughs> not so crazy alien movies to, to know what the, the the public reaction would be worldwide uh type of thing so i can understand the the need for for keeping a close you know a, a, this close to the breast but you know when i first heard the words air uh, space force i said to myself 
okay, when are they going to start calling the president absolutely not? Right, for the space for no, no, I understand the theory. No, thanks. For, I guess, I mean, see, here, here's the thing with conspiracy theories, and, and I understand you don't want to call it conspiracy theory, but this idea that there's, there's something that we're going to keep from the, the people. The, regardless of how wacky they are, it's like the people who think that, continue to believe that we didn't land on the moon. You know, what was, was Steph Curry was one of those guys who was articulating that. All right, the, the thing is, if that's really the case, somebody talks at some point in time. I mean, you can't, you can't keep big things like that secret. I mean, if there really was evidence that, you know, there were aliens among us or that that flying saucer landed in MacArthur Park and, and the government somehow managed to hush it up, I guess I've always believed at some point in time the truth ends up getting out. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Mequon. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Um, hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, Jeff. I was in the military. I'm a, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay. This topic is dear to my heart. Um, back in the 70s, um, I was in the Army, actually military intelligence, and I was assigned to a high-frequency radio intercept site that was brand-new technology for the Army. And um, we had one night when I was coming in to work midnight shift, there was this big, I'll say flying saucer, because it kind of fit the archetypical description of what you hear in science fiction, and it was hovering over our antenna field. It was sending down like a spotlight. It was looking at our power generator. And so... I mean, sort of right, like right out of Close Encounters of a Third Kind, something like that, huh? No, no kidding. No okay, kidding. all right. If, if one person would have seen that, I would have said they're, they're crazy. What were they smoking? There were a hundred of us that saw this. And uh, so anyway, um, we called the Air Force. The Air Force sent jets over from Ramstein Air Force Base. And just as you could hear the jets approaching... This thing turned off its lights and it shot out of the, you know, away from the antenna field, 45 degree angle, million miles an hour, and it was off the horizon before the jets showed up. The following day, the Army sent in a group of people to interview all of us that saw it, and basically we were told, you know, this is, this was nothing, don't, you know, don't, don't bring this up. So I don't know if the Army has a sophisticated way of suppressing all this information, but anything about that sighting never really hit the news. So they, they so you had 100 people or thereabouts in your unit. Everybody saw this. Did they ever explain it, what they thought it was to you? They did not. Nope, they did not. They just told, they just reminded us of our security clearance and said, no, this is, uh, we're dealing with this, and uh, we never heard another word. What do you think it was? Do you think it was a, a spaceship from outer space? Well, Jeff, we could see we could see lights on the inside. This thing was about the shape of a of a hat. It had a middle and it had a rim, and it was kind of rotating around 360 degrees. But it wasn't flying. It was just almost hovering, and uh, and we could see the the windows and we could see lights inside the windows. So to me, it was it was, there was no Russian craft that was like that at the time. That was the Cold War era. Huh. There was no Russian craft like that at the time. So to me, this thing was something unlike anything that we knew about from any of the other armies or air forces of the world. Any repeated in the time you were stationed there, anything like this ever happen again, or was this just like a one-off? It was just like a one-off. Huh. Interesting, John. You do not now. You, you do not um, take this the right way. I appreciate you listening. You do not sound like a kook to me. You're not a kook, are you? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, <laughs> okay. As I said, all these, all the people that saw this, all yeah. had top secret security clearances because we were a radio intercept site. So I mean, it was credible people. But of course, this was before the day of cell phones, so right. nobody was able to snap a picture of this.
this. Right. Interesting. Well, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. That's, I mean, the thing you're describing, it's, it's the old Richard Dreyfuss movie, the Steven Spielberg movie, Close Encounters of a Third Kind. That sounds exactly like that kind of spaceship that was in there. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. Take my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I believe there is life in the universe beyond us. Uh, two things. It could be unmanned aerial vehicles that they're not quite in the loop of. I know DOD doesn't always talk to one another. Air Force kind of has their own thing. Uh, Navy has their own thing. And being stationed out in Southern California, you, you see a lot of flying um, aircraft in, in the area near China Lake and Nevada Desert and stuff like that. So it's understandable. The one thing is if it's going to be top secret and they're going to document it, why tell the public that you're doing it then? It just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like, okay, we're doing a top secret thing. We're going to catalog this. But we're not going to tell you what the results. know that we're doing it. Right, which which is, again, I mean, that's what I found to be intriguing about this story because it, it, it simply plays into, by doing that, it plays into the concerns that people might have of folks like our, our last caller, John, who says, look, I, I, all I can tell you is this is what I saw when I was stationed in Germany in the 1970s. This is what I saw. And it does kind of play into people who wonder, is there some giant government conspiracy going on? Right, or, or either that they're taking a jab at maybe the Air Force and saying, hey, since you guys don't want to tell us what you're flying around in our area, we're just going right. to, Right, right. Interesting. So do you, yeah, do you think, all right, so, the, all right, thanks, Nicole. I would say, look, I don't know what the answer to this is. I have never had a close encounter of, of a third kind. Like I said, intellectually, I think it's kind of arrogant for us to assume that there is no other intelligent form of life anywhere in the vast universes that are out there. I mean, I think that's that's an incredible degree of arrogance. Whether any of those life forms are reaching out or doing exploratory things, I don't know. I haven't seen it at all. But I, I do think this is one where... It, the government doesn't gain anything by being secretive uh, about it. Now, I understand one of the things they're doing with this program is they're trying to also document the like like Russian. Do, do Russia have, does Russia have new aircraft and things like that? That stuff clearly, I think, is appropriate to be classified as a military secret. But you know, if you see some like flying saucer that's hovering and you take pictures of it and you alert people, I don't know. I think maybe the public has a right to know. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Hi, folks. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Kentucky Derby is tomorrow. In about a half hour, we're going to be joined by Pick'em Paul from Pays Big Potawatomi. Uh, He's the race book manager. They call it the off-track betting room manager. And we're going to be talking all the things they've got going on with the Kentucky Derby starting today. And we will share our Kentucky Derby picks. And I'll also send that out on Twitter afterwards. Again, um, typically with the Kentucky Derby, my advice is see what horses I like, go the other way. You will be typically okay. But that's you, – you just never know. All right. I admit I, I have reached my limit on this particular issue. I, you know, and it's, I want to discuss this with you. The Attorney General of the United States is a guy named William Barr. I, I actually know Bill Barr. Bill Barr was the attorney general at the end of the, the first Bush administration, 1988 to 1992. 
And I was, I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time, so I had the opportunity to meet him on a handful of occasions. I mean, it's not like we're friends or anything, but I had an opportunity to meet him. And I, I will tell you, my general sense of Bill Barr in 1990, 1992 was a really smart, straight shooter. That, and maybe, maybe that influences what I'm about to say, but that's, that's just the Bill Barr that I knew in the early 1990s. One of the things that, and I said this at the time, that surprised me was the fact that given all the stuff surrounding the Trump administration and given the way love President Trump or hate President Trump, there's no question that he chews people up. And by that, I mean, once once you stop being useful to him, he he will throw you to the the wolves, and, and you've seen that with one person after with one person after another. I mean, Jeff Sessions, uh, senator from Alabama. Jeff Sessions was one of the first people that supported him in his race and was instrumental in helping him get elected. Becomes the attorney general, and then President Trump breaks bad on him, and boom, you 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 have that that whole acrimonious relationship. And that's that's not atypical. That's just the kind of guy that Donald Trump is, and it's the kind of guy that he's always been. Once you stop being useful to him or once you cross him, boom, you know, he's going to turn on you. I was, with that backdrop, I was very surprised that Bill Barr, who'd been out of the public sector, you know, since, again, the 90s, now he's in his, like, late 60s, I, I think, would make the decision to want to come back and be attorney general. I mean, he, he's making a ton of money in private practice. Why you would want to jump into the middle of the mess that is in Washington at his age with his level of success was beyond me. I, I didn't understand why you would want to do this, but that's okay. He made the decision. So he comes back and takes over for Jeff Sessions, and, and I think everybody knows what's been going on now. Bob Mueller finishes the Mueller report. They find no conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And they also find the Mueller says, I, I'm not, this is all the evidence. I'm not going to take a position on whether the president obstructed justice or not. And the attorney general, Bill Barr, sends out a, a summary of the report that doesn't satisfy, um, certainly doesn't satisfy the left that uh, some people claim that, you know, he was saying it was a vindication of Trump and it really wasn't, et cetera, et cetera. You have a very acrimonious hearing a couple days ago where you have Democrats in Congress calling him a liar, et cetera, et cetera. He refuses to show up yesterday. And so you have this hearing that goes ahead. You have one Democratic congressman who brings a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken in one of the more memorable and I think ultimately failed sort of stage managing events. Here, I'm going to eat chicken. Uh, the idea, of course, being Bill Barr is chicken to appear in front of Congress. But it's a complete and total mess. Now you have Nancy Pelosi accusing the attorney general of breaking the law. He lied to Congress. We're going to hold him in contempt. You know, we think he should resign immediately. We think he should be prosecuted, etc., etc. And you're just kind of off to the races on this. All right. My reaction to this whole story, I'm just tired of it all. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't think this is going anywhere one way or the other. As I said a couple days ago, if the if the Democrats in Congress, in the House of Representatives, want to go ahead and try to impeach the president for obstruction of justice, fine. 
go ahead and do it. It's a complete and total waste of time because you need 67 members of the Senate. There's 53 Republicans. And unless there's something else that Bob Mueller didn't discover in a two-year investigation, you're, you're spinning your wheels. Donald Trump is not going to be forced out of office by an impeachment proceeding. It's just not going to happen. If Donald Trump is out of office, it's because he loses an election in November of 2020. But I I think that the majority of America finds this whole thing to be fatiguing. And I understand this is front-page news in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the headline I'm looking at the Times, Pelosi accuses Barr of law-breaking as Democrat war with him boils over. Story on Fox, Nancy Pelosi, A.G. Barr lied to Congress. That's a crime. Story in the Washington Post, the headline, Nancy Pelosi says Attorney General William Barr lied to Congress. Big, bold letters. I think the majority of American people are tired of this whole thing and recognize that impeachment isn't going anywhere, that this gamesmanship between the Democrats and the White House, and there's all sorts of blame to go around, but that that it's not productive anymore. And I get the fact that you've got some people who spend 20 hours a day, you know, obsessed with, you know, what's going on on MSNBC. And similarly, there's probably that amount of people that are watching Fox News and stuff. But I think most of us have just reached the point where uh, enough, j- just enough. We're, we're tired of this. We want we want to have you concentrate on the things that matter to us, like the fact that Social Security is going to go broke or in the next 15 years unless something's going to happen. Like the fact that we, we still have a health care system where, you know, the premiums and the, are going up through are going through the roof. Can you figure out a way to fix that? Like crumbling infrastructure, I, all those different things. I, for one. And I get these emails all the time. Well, you're going to spend an hour talking about the testimony of Bob Barr in front of uh, the House committee. No, because I think the majority of us are tired of this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But let us tee this up. I, I mean, this is a legitimate question. Are you Are you riveted by this? Do you want to see... For the next six months or 12 months or 18 months, do you want to see a full-blown battle between the White House and the Democrats and the and Congress over, all right, you know, what? why did you say what you said when you released this summary of the Mueller investigation? And we, we there's got to be more that's out there. I just think the majority of people, whether you, you love Trump or whether you hate him, have just had enough and want to move on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or alternatively, put up or shut up. If you want to impeach the president, okay, start the process. Let's get it underway. It's not going to go anywhere. But I think most people of goodwill just want people to move on. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There is a school of thought that if you do what I do for a living, you should be spending three hours a day every day doing nothing but talking about President Trump and his war with the Democrats and the Mueller report and whether it's a witch hunt or whether it's a cover up or whatever, to which I would say, just shoot me. I'm just I'm over the entire thing. We spent two years on the Mueller report. It comes out. It finds no criminal conspiracy. And now we're, we're going through this latest phase. Well, we should criminally charge the new attorney general, Bill Barr. We didn't like this or that or whatever. I mean, I, I think 
I think the vast amount of Americans are just over this whole thing, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Trump hater. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I'm so over it. And, and the thing is, it's, it's really just, you listen to some of these arguments, you listen to these, these conversations and, and whatnot, and it's like, all it is is grandstanding. I mean, when you get when you get people like Alan Dershowitz and, and whatever, right. saying, you don't you, you guys are just shooting yourself in the foot. Right. I mean, really, when it gets right down to it, and then all these stupid stunts with the the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, yeah, I just see. I just think that look. I, I think America would have been riveted if this report comes out and says, "Hey, we found the smoking gun evidence. We we've got the evidence that there was a meeting between Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump that occurred, you know, during the campaign, and they agreed that this is what they were going to do." Okay, I, that that would have been something, right? Then, then you know, then you're back in 1974 and the impeachment stuff. That didn't happen. And now, I love your word, grandstanding. That that's what that's what this whole thing is. And that's I think. It. Yeah, they, they go off into a diatribe. You can't even, you could ask them a question. Right. It's like they didn't even hear the question. It's like, it's, it's like pre-scripted. Well, it, it is. The thing is, is what ha- I mean, what happened, where was all this, you know, outrage and all this attention and everything else with Loretta Lynch and, and you right. know, Hillary Clinton and everything else? It was kind of like, it's just everybody's reading into it. We're not all stupid. Well, right. No, thanks. And again, to me, this this is all, it's appealing to the base. And and I understand, and this is where you have some of the liberal media and the conservative media that, that are fueling this. You know, you have the people that are religiously watching MSNBC who were bitterly disappointed that there wasn't the conspiracy thing out there. And, and so now this is the next phase. We've got to criminally charge Bill Barr. Oh, come on. Really? I mean, th- this is where we want to spend the next six months or the next 12 months. We want to try to impeach the latest attorney general. Well, that's not going to happen either. It's like, all right, can't we figure out what the real problems are? Let's talk to Kathy in Kenosha. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Kathy. I was just thinking about this this morning. I agree with you 100%. We need to move on. Why don't we have our politicians do what we get, we're paying them to do, and that's fixing our nation's issues. We have mm-hmm. social security issues, health care issues, yeah. many other issues, and this is it has to stop. We're not going to spend the next year and a half of Trump's presidency dealing with this? Right. I mean, I guess, and I, I just think, I, I, again, I, I, I don't care where you come down on this. At some point in time, don't, don't doesn't mainstream America get tired of, of all this and, and, and all the little, okay, we're going to, you know, we're, we're mad at you and now you're mad at us. I just think most people are going, oh, for goodness sakes, you know, now you want to charge the attorney general and you want to have a criminal investigation and we're going to impeach him. I mean, give me a break. I, I understand why people might not like Bill Barr, but really, this is how we're going to spend our time. Our time and our money. Let's have politicians go back to work and do what they're supposed to do. Right. Figure out how to save Social Security that's going to go broke and they're going to start exactly. falling into deficit. Yeah. No, thanks for call. That's, I, I guess that's the frustration. Like I say, I mean, I, I, I tried to be open-minded about the Mueller report. I said repeatedly I did not believe that it was going to find you know any sort of criminal conspiracy. I don't like to use the word collusion because the, the word is conspiracy. I didn't think it was going to find anything, and, and it didn't. If it had, well, then you're talking about the impeachment track. But now – this whole thing about well we don't we didn't like the summary of the letter that you gave out etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean really it's all about political gamesmanship and it's trying to make political points and that that's fine but after a certain point i think 
people are ready to move on. And I guess, in my opinion, the general public, America, is ready to move on. Now, the you know, the political class might not be willing to do it, but this won't be the first time that America has been ahead of of the curve of the politicians. Let's talk to Paul in Heartland. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jay. Hi, Paul. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my, my point is that I, I was sick of this within six months, but to go on for two years and to come out with a redacted report that everybody now has to try and fill in the blanks for mm-hmm. of what they really don't know about it, I think what's happening here is that Mueller, for Mueller to come out and say that he really uh, doesn't agree with uh, the, the findings and the report on it, he's saying follow the money. And we didn't have time to follow the money because all we were looking at was collusion. But definitely he found something there about the money trail. And that's what I want to, I want to get to the bottom. I consider myself a Republican, but you know what? If our president is defrauding banks and dealing with Russians on a, on a financial level where he's financing his golf courses or his hotels or something else that we don't know about, and Bob Mueller was onto it and he had to end his investigation, I want to know about it. How, how do you think you go about finding that? Is that is that Congress? Is that the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office? How do you believe, go about it? I believe I believe you. You probably do it somehow at the state level. I think the New York uh, would be the best way because mm-hmm. they have control over his taxes, probably a little bit more uh, with all the deals that he's done. But I I think there's smoke there, and I think Mueller found enough that he's like, no, this just doesn't, this doesn't add up. And we want to look at the finances. If you really wanted to find out where he might have collusion and, and it, it, he, Trump is setting himself up here by saying, I don't want to show my taxes. I don't want any financial disclosures, whatever. You know, if you're an honest person, you really wouldn't be defending yourself in that manner. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I, and I have said this before as well. I, every president since Richard Nixon has made their tax returns public. The president saying, I'm not going to do it because I'm under audit, that is a BS reason. There's nothing that stops you. I mean, any, there's nothing that stops him, even though he's being audited, if that is in fact the case. There's nothing that stops him from making that information public. I guess, I, I don't know, if if there is... If there is evidence that Donald Trump committed a crime, well, okay, that that's fine. I have no problem with authorities pursuing that. I guess I don't think the way you go about it, though, is with these these grandstanding, you know, high tech hearings that really they're they're not designed to figure out whether there's criminal malfeasance. It's designed to try to give politicians an opportunity to get their faces on television and maybe you know raise money for the next election. I guess I again. I appreciate what was the Nixon phrase. I, your people need to know if their president is a crook. I, I think people need to know that. I just think that given the fact that where we are now, and given the fact that you had the Mueller thing, which has essentially been this dark cloud over the first two years of the Trump administration, I think most people are just kind of we're, we're worn out by this, and you know you're you're ready to move on. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hi. hi. Yeah, I just think it's totally kind of like an embarrassment to the rest of the world to show how our government kind of works. It's almost like we've got a White House full of kids that can't get along, and all I do is nitpick about everything the other guy does. And recently, you know, I mean, it's just like, if you guys can't get it together and get your stuff together to work and try to make the country better, then maybe you all need to step down and we start filling the White House with some new blood 
because Trump always pushed that we're going to drain the swamp. Well, he had to start draining the swamp because there'd be a lot of savings if he started draining the swamp. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you, you should say that about the, the frustration people have. In Great Britain, I was reading a story today. In Great Britain, there, there's this whole thing about Brexit. You know, Brexit is Great Britain pulling out of the European Union. And nobody thought that they were going to vote to do it. But in what was a hissy fit going on two years ago, majority of people who voted said, we want to pull out of the European Union. Well, what they found is that pulling out of the European Union isn't going to be it's, – it's, it's a mess. And so now a lot of people who voted for Brexit are saying, well, maybe we should have a do-over. Other politicians are saying, well, no, no, the public is committed to doing this, and we have to figure out how to do it. But it, it's been a complete and a total mess for the last year and a half. But one prime minister had to resign, the current prime minister may. She's, she's offered to resign. You can't get anybody to agree on anything. You know, they can't get anybody to come up with a solution because all the different solutions are, are bad because they probably shouldn't really be pulling out of Brexit, but they don't know how to backtrack on this. Now, I, I bring this up because what they're starting to see in Britain is a backlash against the major parties. The two big parties in Britain are the Labour Party, that's the Liberals, and the Conservative Party, that's the Conservatives. And what they're finding is this is the rise of third parties because people are hacked off at both the Labour the labor ministers and the conservative ministers because nobody can get anything done and to your point maybe we're getting closer to that in this country live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now here's wtmj's jeff wagner well it's that time of the week let us talk about important stuff now as i was saying earlier on even if you're not a Super Bowl, a, a, a football fan, you're a fan of the Super Bowl. Everybody focuses on that. And even if for 364 days a year you don't pay any attention to thoroughbred horse racing, when the Kentucky Derby rolls around, you pay attention to the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby is tomorrow, and we are joined by my friend Pick'em Paul Lawrence from Pays Big Potawatomi, the off-track betting manager. Paul, who knows more about... Harness racing and thoroughbred racing and dog racing than than most people forget. Welcome, Jeff. It's always great to talk racing with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, we're we're going to get to our picks in just a little bit, but the, the Kentucky Derby for people who follow horse racing or even the casual observers, th- this is it's like the Super Bowl, isn't it? It's it's a great social event because especially Potawatomi is the place to be tomorrow because we're bringing if you can't get to you know. The Kentucky Derby in in Kentucky come to Potawatomi because we've got a hat contest. We're serving up mint juleps. Uh, we're actually giving away mint julep glasses and along with some food. Like I said, we have a we have a hat contest. Uh, if you can't make it tomorrow because you want to cut the grass, you can come out today and uh, make your bets. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I noticed. I actually, in true confessions, I, I went down there this morning because I got stuff I have to do tomorrow and. You actually can go today and not just bet on the Kentucky Derby. You can bet all the races at Churchill if if you want, and you can do that until you guys close late tonight. So if you, if you, for whatever reason, have other plans for tomorrow, you can still participate in the Derby. Exactly. We'll be open until about 12.30, 1 o'clock. You know, if you got a hunch, bet a bunch. If you've got a hunch, bet a bunch. Okay, I, I, I kind of like that. Now, normally, for people who are familiar with, with your operation, the, the, the off-track betting room, it's, it's on the fourth level. But you really do big things with the Derby. It's, it's not just your, your off-track betting room. You, you, you expand throughout the rest of the facility. 
the Derby has become pretty big for us, for our fans, and for the casino. I mean, we have the off-track betting room. It's uh, about 500 or 5,000 square feet. But for Derby, the Northern Lights Theater, which is 500 plus, uh, 20 foot by 20 foot screen, larger than life. I have eight wagering terminals there and me. I'll be down there helping people out if they have any questions. And we've actually expanded out the last couple of years into the tribal room, which is that circular room with the fireplace. Um, it's across by the, the Menominee, uh, food court. Right. But they were setting it up. We were setting it up this morning and we've got some decorations in and there's a life-size horse if somebody wants to take a selfie with a horse well there you go we got it and hopefully like some winning tickets and stuff so that's on the way for people who are familiar with the area if you're if you're walking back towards the bingo area from like the parking structure that that's where Correct. you are um you know Paul one of the things that i know for for people who don't regularly bet the horses. I, I know sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating, and I know there's a lot of people that come down there, and this is the only time they visit to bet the horses. You guys really do try to make it user-friendly for people to come down and participate. Exactly. Like um, walking through the off-track betting room today, and I'm seeing my supervisors out there helping people using the self-serve terminals because they don't want to stand in line with the tellers. The tellers are very good. My, I think I have some great tellers. Uh, again, tomorrow, I'll be down in the Northern Lights, and it'll be a number of times, hey, Paul, how do you make this bet? How do I get to the Derby race? And that I love being down there and talking with people, and even in a tribal room, I'll have somebody there that if you have a question, feel free to ask. Okay. Let's for for people and I, I know some people that are listening to us are, are are familiar with how you you bet horses and things like that. But for people who might not be, but are still they want to participate, they want to have a little fun. All right, let let's talk about the the basic bets now. Basic bets in horse racing: first, win, place, and show. What are they? Okay, uh, those are straight bets. So if you bet a horse to win, it has to finish first. If you bet it to place, it ha- it can finish first or second. But you collect. The place money, it's different pools, and then show would be uh, finishes in the top three, and then you would collect that. So it's a little safer bet, but you don't make as much money. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that I can bet on a horse, and all it has to do is finish third, and you're still going to pay me money? Yes, I am. (laughs) How how have I been losing money doing this for 40 years? You mean if I bet something to come in third, they're still going to give me money, huh? Because I think you and I come from the same philosophy. If we bet it to come in third, it comes in fourth. Right. (laughs) Doesn't that, isn't that true? Okay. So those are your, your straight wagers. Then you hear people talking a lot about some of the exotic wagers, like the, the exactas and the trifectas and the superfectas. What, what are those? They get a little more complicated, but they're really not because the exacta, um, you're, you're picking the first two finishers. And it says exacta in exact order, but there's different ways that we'll probably talk later on, on how to play an exacta. The trifecta, just like it says, try, try meaning three, you're picking the top three finishers. And then superfecta is picking the top four finishers. So, yes, it gets a little complicated, but it also throws in the, those people that like to bet numbers. It's a great numbers thing, too, for them. Right. If your kid's birthday is, you got one that was born on the 3rd and one that was born on the 7th, you know, you can bet 3 and 7 and go from there. Trust me, I grew up like that because my birthday's on the 26th, and if the 2-6 came in and my mother didn't bet it, she yelled at me. If the 2-6, she bet it and it didn't, I got yelled at. So One of the other things is it's really 
affordable for people who want to participate and have a little bit of fun. Like the, the standard win or place or show bet would be would be two dollars. You, you can bet two hundred or two thousand, but it'd be two dollars. But for some of these exotics that we're talking about, like the superfectas, the trifectas, you, you can you can play fi- play fifty cent bets, so you can match a whole bunch of different ones together, right? Correct. You know. We, you know, we we're going to talk about a little bit more about the different combinations that you can do with the exactas and that. And because it's a fifty cents base, I mean, you can bet a whole lot more horses in these, uh, whether you box it or key it or whatever, right. and for a lot less money, and you can actually make a lot more. Right. So, bottom line is, people should not be intimidated by this. And if you if you want to participate and you want to have a little bit fun. Um, the, the folks down there at Potawatomi can help explain these different things. I heard those guys on the radio talking about this, and they, they can help you about it. So I guess the bottom line is if you want to participate in the country Kentucky Derby fun, don't don't let the idea, well, everybody, they've, they've got these big newspapers, and they've got all these sheets and these computer things. Don't be intimidated because, I don't know about you, but my experience has been, I, I'll spend a couple hours studying, and then there'll be some lady that walks in and says, oh, I really like that name. And I'll look and say, the horse is 50 to 1. It's got no chance. And that's the thing that comes in. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, for guys like you and I, that, that's frustrating. But you also know that if you're looking at it and you're going, you know, if there's some horse named Paul or Jeff and you make <laughs> fun of it, and if you don't bet it, that horse is coming in just to spite you. Yeah, absolutely, and it'll smile at you as it goes by. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We are joined by Paul Lorenz, who is the um, off-track betting manager at Potawatomi. He can't make bets himself, but I, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's theoretically, we both will have pretend bank rolls of up to 50 bucks if we were betting what would we bet? And we will share that with you. I'll send it out on Twitter a little later on as well. Um, just some of our ideas. For me, like I confess, the way it works with the Kentucky Derby is find out the horses I like. Historically, if you go the other way, you'll be okay. But we will share that with you in just a minute. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. We're back. The Kentucky Derby is tomorrow. We're joined in studio by Pick'em Paul Lawrence, who is the uh, off-track betting manager at Potawatomi Casino. We're talking about all the great stuff going on at Potawatomi. They, you can go down there today, and you can make your bets on the Kentucky Derby if you don't want to deal with the, the people tomorrow. So the sports book stays open well into the evening. The off-track racing book stays open well into the evening. Lots of big doings uh, tomorrow as well. There'll be three different locations you could go to at Potawatomi to place your bets. All right, all that being said and done, Paul, let's talk about what people really want to know. All right, who's going to win? And what I said to you is, let's imagine we have a hypothetical $50 bankroll. And, of course, people will be able to adjust it. But let's say you had 50 bucks that you wanted to bet on the Derby. How would Pick'em Paul allot that 50 bucks? Well, like I said to you earlier, I'm going to have to borrow a dollar because I had to go 51. <laughs> 51, okay. On this one. All, so. all right, We're, you're good for I'm good for it. Okay, okay. so... I am a huge Bob Baffert fan because of what he's done. He is the uh, famous two, trainer out of Southern California who's won a lot of stuff. He's okay. won two triple crowns this this decade. And he's got three horses in this, and I like all three of them. And I always throw this out. Bob Baffert and I have a connection because he went to the University of Arizona racetrack industry program, and so did I. And you're going to say, really, there is such a thing? But, <laughs> yes. I went for racetrack management. And so he's got number 17, Roadster, number 16, Game Winner, and number 5. And I need to interject this, Jeff. When people are making bets at the OTB, 
they need to bet by program number because there's two scratches in the race. So the numbers that the horses are in the program, they, they're going right. to be wearing those numbers. Yeah, you want to figure out, you don't want to go up and say, give me $5 on game winner. But you're going to have, you, they want you to say, give me $5 on number 16. Right. right. And they're going to be, they're not going to, be, they're going to be starting in different gates because they, they move over. So don't get confused by that. I think the hottest Bafford horse right now is 17. The road is Roadster because he's coming in with, with two wins. And just off of the Santa Anita Derby, which Justify won last year, uh, game winner is really strong. I think that's the best Baffert and uh, jockey combination. And then Improbable was really doing well earlier this year, too. So I really don't know which one of those to cut out. So I'm going to say add those into whatever. But the other thing is we talked about, it's a little sloppy. Yeah, it's going it, to be it's right. raining there. And that affects it because some horses... Some horses just don't like to run on sloppy tracks. They don't like to have the mud that's thrown up in their faces. They don't like the footing, whereas there are some other horses that just thrive in that, and it's probably going to be raining tomorrow. Right, and those front runners, you know, they don't get, the like you said, the mud thrown at them. Others, it doesn't affect them. But I looked real deep into this, and I thought that the seven maximum security, for a number of reasons, he's four starts, four lifetime starts, four wins, so he's got that, but one of them is one in the slop. So you know that this horse can win in the slop and won the, the Florida Derby earlier. Okay, so how are you going to spend your $50 and my dollar? <laughs> how are we going to spend 51 bucks? All right, so what I was looking at, what key horse am I going to bet across? This is what we were talking about earlier, win, place, and show. So there are three separate bets, but I'm going to bet $5 across the board um, on number 17 because I think it's the hottest Baffert, Baffert horse. So That would 15. be, right, number 17 would be Roadster, okay? So then we're going to go with some exactas, and we're going to go with a $2 base. So I kind of want the whole, whole part of that bet. I like, I'm going to put that 7 on top, and then to finish second is either going to be the 5, 16, or 17. Um, so then another one I would like to put the 16 on top with the 5, 7, and 17. And then another $2 exacta, uh, 17 on top with 5, 7, and 16. So now I've got the win, play, show. I've got the exacta. And now I'm going to give a couple of trifectas out there. And similar similar things, actually the same numbers that I'm betting on the trifecta, but instead of the winner and one of the other two, one of the other three horses finishing second, now I've got the winner and two out of the three horses have to. So basically it's the seven with the 5, 16, 17 again, the 16, 5, 7, 17, and the 17, Five, seven, sixteen. Each one of those are a six-dollar bet, and that comes to fifty-one dollars. Okay, so there you have it. Those would be your your trifectas and your exactas. What would we call a keys, where you have a key horse and then you pair it with those other three. Right. So basically, those horses that we put on top on either one of the keys of the exacta or the trifectas has to win. That's the first part of winning that ticket, and then the other ones have to come in second and third. Okay, so from your perspective, the four horses that people should concentrate on would be the 5, the 7, the 16, and the 17. Correct. And pay attention to that. Okay, all right. Now, for me, I see, I'm, I'm not going to have to borrow money. My, mine came up to, to $48, um, but I'm, I, I'm and I'm going to do it essentially along the lines of what Paul did. As we said, I, okay, I like the big return. I mean, I'm, I'm there to, I'm there to win, right? I mean, I, I want to win the big money. I love betting superfectas. Superfectas are, you pick the top four horses in order. 
All right. Now, you don't win very often, but when you win, you win big money. And especially in a field like the Kentucky Derby, where there's uh, what, 20 ho- 19 horses 19 with the scratches now. now right? right. 19 horses running. Now, I will tell you, I look to try to find a couple long shots because of the off track and things like that. Two of the favorites also have scratched out. Um, uh, Omaha Beach was a horse that a lot of people thought was going to be the favorite. That's scratched out. That's number 12. So you can't bet on that. It's not going to be racing. But here, here are my four horses. And they're very similar to the ones that actually Paul was talking about. I like the five. I like the 16. I like the 17. And then I also like the eight horse. It's a horse named Tacticus. So five, eight, 16, and 17. Those are the four horses. And they're all, um, there, there's none of it is crazy like 30 or 40 to 1. They're all 5 to 1, 6 to 1, 10 to 1. But my horses are going to be 5, 8, 16, and 17. I am going to do a 50 cent Superfecta box with those four horses 5, 8, 16, and 17. That's going to, oh, it's a $1 minimum. Okay, I'm going to have to borrow you some money. You're going to borrow some money from you. Okay, so that's going to be, that's going to be 24 bucks. $1 Superfecta box, 5, 8, 16, 17. That means if those horses come in first through fourth, all four of them have to come in, but they can come in in any order, you will win a Superfecta, and you will be very happy. I'm also, can I do a 50-cent trifecta box? Yes. Okay, I can do a 50-cent trifecta box. Trifecta box, they have to come in first, second, and third. Any order, I'm going to use those same four horses, 5, 8, 16, 17, 50 cent trifecta box, that's $12. So I'm now up at 36. And then I'm going to do the exacta box as well. Um, again, same horses, $2 exacta box, 5, 8, 16, and 17. Two of those four horses have to finish first and second. If they do, you win. That's $24. So I'm actually at 60 bucks, but it's my show, so I get to change the thing a little bit. So that'll be 60 bucks. Um, those would be the horses, 5, 8, 16, and 17. I also want to admit, honestly, like I said before, I have a long history of being wrong in the Kentucky Derby, so you can take that for what it's worth. But you and I landed on three of the same four top four horses. Yes, and unfortunately, sometimes I consider my picks to be like being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, too. <laughs> it it so, dooms you, yeah. yeah. It dooms you. But that'll give you something to at least you know work with, and those are the horses that we like. Bottom line is, you know, do it for fun, and it's, I, I mean, it's just one of those times where you can go down, place a couple bets, don't have to spend a lot of money, and then you can sit back with your friends and your mint julep or whatever your favorite adult beverage is and watch it if you choose not to be at Potawatomi. Well, I had a friend who, he would look over my shoulder and look at my numbers, and he would play them differently, and somehow he would come up a winner, because somehow how he bet my horses, yeah. but, and then I wouldn't. So. Yeah, you, you never know. But in any event, those are our thoughts on the Kentucky Derby. It goes off around 5.30 tomorrow well, night. Well, fi- 5.50 is the proposed uh, time for the Derby in that, but we do open up the off-track betting room at 8.30. The Northern Lights Theater is open up at 9 o'clock, and then the Tribal Room, like I said earlier, it's, it's going to have a bar in there. Um, that'll open up at noon. Right. And again, you could go down there tonight and you can make your advance wagers on the Kentucky Derby. I was there a couple of years ago. I remember I'm in line and there was a guy that didn't know how to work the machine and I was helping him out. And he said, you're Jeff Wagner, aren't you? So this is really cool. Jeff Wagner's helping me work out the, the automatic teller machine. I said, well, maybe I'm glad you think it's cool. It's probably like I'm spending too much time down at your place there, Paul. Paul Lorenz from 
Pickham Paul Lorenz from uh, Pottawatomie. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. All right, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, good luck and good racing. Good luck and good racing. It's 229. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. It is that time of the week, Pop Culture Corner. We put aside the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about the Mueller report and the trolley and all the other things that are out there. We have a little bit of fun. All right. Big, big time for sports. We were just talking about the Kentucky Derby that runs tomorrow. You've got Game 3 of the playoffs involving the Bucks and the Boston Celtics. You've got the NFL draft that just completed itself. You've got uh, the baseball season, which is starting to get underway. Contrary to what some people might tell you, it's not early anymore, meaning the Brewers have to figure out a way to pick up their pitching. But a lot of people are talking about sports. Well, we're talking about sports in the real world, but there's also sports kind of in the semi-pretend world. And I'm talking about sports movies. And I thought, given the fact that, you know, everybody's paying so much attention to all the stuff that's going on in the real world of sports, this might be a fun time to take a step back and think about sports movies. There's nothing like a good film about sports. Sometimes, sometimes it's a fictional movie um sometimes like field of dreams would be a fictional one the natural would be a fictional one sometimes there's you know there's autobiographical movies you know um Brian Piccolo's story, Bang the Drum Slowly, a great sports movie uh, about, you know, a real-life person. So sometimes it could be a real one. Sometimes it could be a fictional one, just a fun sort of story. But I thought, given everything that's going on in the world of sports, we would devote a segment or two on Pop Culture Corner this Friday to the best sports movie ever. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a sport that you follow. I mean, there you, you could, for example, you could not like baseball at all, but you could still love Bull Durham because Kevin Costner's great in it and Susan Sarandon's great in it, all those different things. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, the greatest sports movie Ever, as I always suggest, go with your first instinct. You don't have to overthink these types of things. Any genre is appropriate. You know, it can, again, be serious. It can be funny. It can be autobiographical. Doesn't matter. Your favorite sports movie. And as I also recommend, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. And I want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. 414-799-1620, best sports movie ever. Back to discuss on Pop Culture Corner in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So much going on in the sports world. I thought we'd have some fun pop culture corner this afternoon. The best sports movie ever. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rick in New Berlin. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing, Jeff? Uh, it happened every spring. I think it was like made in the 50s. It was like one of the first uh, uh, comedy, fictional, some uh, some professor made some potion that 
Right. Doing a ball. It was hilarious. Maybe right. the Brewers could use that. <laughs> yeah, it happens every spring. One of the one of the classics. But thanks for the call. And again, it's it it's this is one where it's an older movie, but it kind of like started that genre. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Kim in Brookfield. Kim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, um, Brian Song. Oh, the uh, right. Uh, you talking about the original one that had uh, yep, like Billy Dee Williams and Brian and uh, uh, James Con, yep. right? Yep. Right. Yep. That's a, it was a great story about how you know even with all the chaos and the trouble in the world, you can still have an enduring friendship and right. The, the cross. I mean, and also, I mean, what was so compelling about that story is, of course, the characters were the late Brian Piccolo, who was right. a run, a white running back for the Chicago Bears, and now the late Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers, is there, yep. I think, yeah, the late yep. Gail Sayers, who was also who was uh, African American, and how they they became close they, friends. Yep, yep. There were there, it wasn't like it is today, where you know all the racial lines. Everybody just. You loved somebody, and you were friends, and you supported them, and right. it's a great story. No, thanks, Nicole. That would be Brian's song. I think they did a remake of it, but we're talking about the original one. Let's talk to Pete in Milwaukee. I'm, yeah, Pete in Milwaukee. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Oh. <laughs> yeah, one, one, one of the classics. I think arguably one of Gene Hackman's best roles, and the late Dennis Hopper is tremendous in that as well as the father. Yep, I can't get enough of that movie. It, you know, that's it is. It's one of those movies, uh, Hoosiers. It's it's one that comes up a lot of times when people say, "Okay, there's a movie I never get tired of watching." A lot, a lot of people feel that way about Hoosiers. Definitely. Yeah, because I mean, thanks, I mean, it's it's a, and of course, it's a. I don't know if it's a true story. I would say it's a semi-true story. But um, it's got you know a lot of compelling elements about this. If you haven't seen it, this little basketball team from a small town in Indiana that goes on and has just incredible success. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Vicky in West Bend. Vicky, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Vicky. I think Rudy is a very good movie. Hmm. Um, um. About again, it's it's just got a. Um, Again, another compelling story about kind of the underdog who's trying to make the Notre Dame football team and does, ultimately. Right, and it's a true story. You know, I like true stories. Right. At at the end of the movie, when they say he was the only one in Notre Dame history that they actually carried off the field, (laughs) you know, that means a lot. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, you can't go wrong with Rudy. Okay, let's go to some texts. Uh, Tom says, Slapshot. I think... I think Slapshot um, is one of the funniest, is one of the funniest sports movies ever made. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's Paul Newman playing this kind of washed-up, over-the-hill uh, hockey player, minor league hockey player. And, of course, it's got the Hanson brothers in it and stuff. Slapshot is great. My advice about Slapshot is, first of all, it is not appropriate for the kids secondly you want to watch Slapshot in the uncut version because if you watch it like on commercial tv or something they cut out a lot of the more adult scenes which mean they cut out some of the funnier scenes but i i love it okay a number of people are saying brian's song uh damn yankees musical 
Gwen Verdon uh, on FX right now. They're running the special that my wife and I are watching on. Uh, it's every week about Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. They were married, but she was his muse, and um, they, they met. She was doing Damn Yankees, and uh, that's just a great, great musical. And Gwen Verdon was exceptional in that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dustin in Milwaukee. Dustin, hello. Hello. Hi. Okay, your favorite uh, the, your favorite sports movie of all time. Uh, League of Their Own. Ooh. Uh, with uh, 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 Gina Davis, right? She's the she's the the star of that, right? Tall blonde, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, you get you get you you have to whenever you come on, you have to turn down your radio, or else you hear yourself six seconds later, and it makes both of us crazy. But yeah, a league of their own, uh, Madonna. Rosie O'Donnell, um, you know, Gina Davis. Uh, of course, it's the uh, semi-true story again about the uh, the women, the P- women's professional baseball league during World War II when Major League Baseball had suspended activities because everybody was off fighting the war. Really, really good movie. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Rick in Waterford. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you? Real well, thank you. Your favorite sports movie? Oh, the longest yard, the original with Burt Reynolds. The the original with uh, Ray Nitschke, Packers great. He was he played in there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, yeah. Adam Sandler wasn't was a bad uh, second time around. But yeah, but I you know I I you know I say this a lot about remakes. I don't understand why they remake good movies. Remake the bad ones. See if you can get it right. But no, yeah, Burt Burt Reynolds and Ray Nitschke and uh, yeah, I, no thanks again. And, and the whole Burt Reynolds entourage. Yeah, Longest Yard. He plays the kind of over the hill football player who gets sent to prison on kind of a trumped up sort of charge. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Steve in Greenfield. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I just wanted to put in a vote for Paper Lion. Yeah, that uh, might be a movie that flies under a lot of people's radar screens. It, it was really good. It, it, it was an accurate depiction of inside an NFL training camp, and NFL or uh, Alan Alda played right? uh, George Plimpton, right. the author who wanted to write a book about what it's like to be in an NFL training camp. Yeah, and, and there was a cameo with Vince Lombardi where he says, "Sorry, George." Uh, the Green Bay Packers are not looking for that kind of thing. Yeah, no, you're, you know, like I say, a lot of people, that's, you don't see that movie around very much, Steve, but I agree with you. I, I, I love it. For people who aren't familiar with the story, thanks for call, by the way. George Plimpton, who was a very, very famous writer, books, magazine articles, etc. He wanted to see what, this is when he was younger, he wanted to see what life was like as an NFL quarterback. So he got the Detroit Lions to let him essentially play quarterback for him in spring training, in, in a in the um, in like the summer of the preseason camps, and he actually got into a couple games. This is back in the, the Packers' glory days. They made the in the book. I highly recommend. They made the book into a movie, and as he actually correctly said, Alan Alda before he was Hawkeye on Mash, he played the George Plimpton character. It's a, it's a good movie if you find it. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, Joe Boo and I are in agreement that Major League is the best one because it's funny, it does have a good story, and it has the cool Wisconsin connection. I, You know, I, Jeff, I, I cannot watch that movie without just vividly remembering all the different, whether, whether it's you're seeing County Stadium or you're seeing the old, uh, they, they shot a lot of scenes at the old restaurant on Good Hope Road, Gritz's Pizzazz or whatever, and then there's the scenes where the cam- where, um, Cameron whatever's character is on the Lake Drive mansion. I, I just, there, there's so, even though it's set in Cleveland, it's really set in Milwaukee, and you just see all these Milwaukee places that aren't there anymore. 
Yeah, it does tap, tap into the like the sentimental memories of my parents bringing my sister and I down from Appleton to see games at County Stadium. Yeah, there you go. No, thanks for calling. It's, I mean, plus, I mean, any movie that has, I mean, Bob Euchre playing the legendary Harry Doyle, any movie that's that, yeah, just a little bit outside. You know, you, you cannot go wrong with that. Let's talk to Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Thank you very much, Jack. Hi, my favorite movie is uh, Vision Quest. Okay. Okay, you know I have I gotta confess I haven't seen okay. that one yet. Oh, I, I I know I feel I I know what the movie is I just haven't seen it but it's really worth checking out huh? Uh, to me it is and uh, well let's say this Jeff 1986 I won first place in uh, city wrestling. Okay, all right. So when you watch this movie here, it's a guy that he wants to drop his weight class down to fight a undefeated three time champion okay all right and, cool uh, he's running doing everything and it's just cool all right just, uh i my son is in the wrestling and i'm like this is what you know we gotta do if you want to be a champ oh very know? no very cool thank thanks for calling right I, I again i haven't seen it but i will definitely put that one on the list um number of people uh let's see victory with sylvester stallone that was the soccer movie uh the pride of the yankees Gary Cooper, uh, he won the Academy Award for that. That goes back to 1942. Remember the Titans? A number of people are making that point. Raging Bull with Robert De Niro before he went crazy. Yeah, Raging Bull is it's a difficult movie to watch, but the story of Jake LaMotta, a very very good movie. Any given Sunday, let's see with Alan uh, with um, Al Pacino. 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. That's really good. I mentioned Bull Durham earlier. I just I. I, I never get tired of watching Bull Durham. I, I admit it's just one of those things that I somebody should have taught Tim Robbins, who plays the pitcher Nuclelouche. Somebody should have taught him how to how pitchers pitch balls. But you know, you put that aside, it's still a very good movie. Let's talk to let's see Lori in Greenfield. Lori on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lori. Hi. I actually have two of them: Talladega Nights and <laughs> with Will Ferrell, and the other one with Tom Cruise was Days of Thunder. Oh, so you're an auto racing fan, huh? We are. We're auto racing fans. <laughs> we go to a lot of races throughout the summer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks. That we've got a communal car going on that way. That's okay. Well, I mean, it is. It is sort of funny if it's a if it's a sports movie that you like. I mean, like I say, a Bull Durham and. Uh, you know, Fields of Dream, Field of Dreams. You think back about the baseball movies, and Hoosiers, of course, is one of the classic basketball movies. Football, maybe you've got, you know, Brian Song. Hockey, you've got Slapshot. I don't know, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tony in De Pere. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, one that's appropriate for the upcoming weekend with the Derby, uh, Dreamer. Yep, yep, yep. That's your horse racing movie, right? Right. No, it's thanks for calling. No, you can't you can't go wrong with any of of those different movies. And then, of course, you know if you want to get into auto racing again, I'm thinking of uh, you've got Grand Prix, you've got Le Mans, you know the, the Steve McQueen movie, all sorts of great films that that are out there. And again, it's it's one of the things. And we didn't even get into some of you know the the other type. You had the Natural with Robert Redford. Just a lot of good sports movies. I will tell you one that. Um, I like the the Sandra Bullock one, Blindside, the football movies. Sandra Bullock, I think, is as good at the Blindside as she has been in a long time. All these are great movies. Whatever your favorite one is, 
I don't know, um, next time it rains and you can't get out and enjoy your favorite athletic activity, just fire that up. All right. Got to take a quick break. John McCure on the road yet again. We'll find out where he is and what he's got on his mind in just a minute. Please stick around.